nerds watch Disney podcasts. We watch films and have a blast. Rank them all from first to last. It's our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to that DWD episode three. Now let's watch some Disney. It's the dudes watch Disney here. We're talking about a potentially disastrous episode of this podcast where we review Fantasia. Uh, I'm Jake. And I'm Dustin. And this is uh, going to be an interesting one because we're going to have to cover orchestral music and animation. And we're going to have to convey that through dialogue for an hour and a half. So daunting task, but uh, we'll see how it works out. So how's it going with you today? I'm all right. Yeah? Feeling good. It's good to know. As a teacher, it's almost the end of the school year, so uh, this is, a, you're worn out, but you're also very excited, so, <laughs> yeah, you probably spend most of the summer doing this, so. Oh, well, right. Right. Well, good deal. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, the idea is we're going through all the Disney animated uh, classics from the official Walt Disney Animation Studios, all of their productions and theatrical releases. Fantasia is the third one in the list. Prior to this, we covered Snow White first, and then uh, Pinocchio after that. Uh, we're ranking them along as we go. I believe uh, we both put Snow White ahead of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. We did, uh, which is the opposite of what we were... We're also going to keep track of Rotten Tomatoes uh, and the way they've ranked all the Disney films. And on there, Pinocchio uh, is first and then Snow White. However, both of us have Snow White and then Pinocchio. Right. Pinocchio is somehow 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and after watching it, pretty lost on that one. But. Yeah, I can't explain that. Uh, Pinocchio, I mean, it's okay. It's enjoyable, right. I guess. But it looked real good after the two films <laughs> I watched this weekend. Begging for Pinocchio. <laughs> right. Like, where's that damn cricket? But <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Fantasia. Pretty uh, well-known Disney film. Uh, released in 1940, which is the same year as Pinocchio, so I guess they were working on them concurrently. This film's unique for several reasons, chiefly because uh, not really a traditional plotline. It's just eight uh, animated segments set to pieces of classical music, including symphonies by Bach, Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Beethoven, and other people I've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> apparently the idea from the film, I looked into sort of how this came about. Uh, before we even get into it, I want to say I creatively, this is a pretty cool idea. Like, I like that this film exists, that... Uh, Especially so early in Disney animation, they're like, what if we just did this and took, you know, let's just put images to classical music and see what we can, how we can tell a story that way. Uh, basically, they'd been doing something similar to that for a few years with a series they had called Silly Symphonies, which basically shorter versions of what we get in this film here. And I think they were all like slapstick. The pieces in the Fantasia film itself are not really so much that they're more serious, uh, and some of them incredibly abstract, but basically the idea was uh, Walt Disney wanted to produce a Silly Symphony starring Mickey Mouse, because apparently Mickey's popularity had been like dwindling, and they <laughs> had to cram him down as like a mascot of the company, so they began working on The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is a, a, a bit we get in this film, uh, but the production cost for that piece just grew to be too high, so they basically decided, screw it, let's... Uh, just make this our next feature film, and thus Fantasia was born. Do you have any childhood memories of Fantasia? <laughs> uh, not positive ones. Uh, <laughs> right. I checked it out once, 
from the uh, the movie rental store. They used to, I'm sure kids don't do this anymore. Like, in, I mean, I guess maybe they have the red box, uh, but you know, you get the Netflix and right. all the other digital Fantasia, not on Netflix. So well. I think Fantasia two thousand, perhaps be. not just <laughs> Fantasia, but in general, right. the experience of like I'm bored. It's the weekend. Like, what am I going to watch? Like, let's go pick out a movie to watch. And your parents want you to pick out something, so you're not telling them you're bored all the time. <laughs> right. And so, and there's only so many times you can watch the same movies over and over again. So one one week it was, uh, hey, let me grab Fantasia. I've never seen it. Kind of think it might be good. No one explained to me. Uh, <laughs> As what a, the film you know, was five six year old however old I was at the time yeah what it was and so like I put it in and just kind of waited for someone <laughs> to talk or something to happen right and so and that never really did happen so I fast forwarded like 30 minutes I'm like oh maybe they're talking now no they're not talking now <laughs> fast forward some more oh, there's dinosaurs now that's kind of cool but no right. they're still not talking and then you just watch Late Before Time instead right <laughs> yeah so it was a very disappointing uh, experience for me now I can appreciate now the creativity that went into it, like you were saying, and the amount of trust you have to have in your audience uh, to do yeah. that. Like, you could not make this movie today. Like, nope. hey, we, we're going to take classical music and make cartoons do it. Like, okay. Like, right. I don't see that being a, a financial success. Right. There's no audience. Although this film wasn't either. So, well, there was a war happening. There were, yeah, there were other <laughs> issues at There was a reason. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I... I'm kind of jealous you had that experience. I, I would have liked to watch that experience, a child go through that of like yeah. uh, what's happening. I never knew this film as a kid. Uh, I definitely remember getting this and the film Anastasia confused a lot. <laughs> just just similar names. Side note, I'd probably rather be watching Anastasia. It's not even a great film, but you know, never seen it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I liked a lot of Don Booth movies, and that one is. Uh, it's kind of later in his catalog and it's after like Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and all these had like massive success so it's kind of him trying to copy that 90s Disney formula but it's fun. Christopher Lloyd is the bad guy so you know he's Rasputin. That's good stuff. Yeah but uh, so yeah my first time watching Fantasia would have been in 2009 when we watched through all of these and in the time since then I've watched it maybe two or three times but I've never been able to like pay attention throughout the whole thing like it's been a let's put in Fantasia and then browse the internet for you know that hour in but I can see it being popular with like uh, parents trying to put their kids down for a nap like we're gonna put this movie in and like yeah you just lay there until you fall asleep you well know? that worked on me we were meant no, to record no. this episode but, <laughs> a week ago but uh, I tried to watch it and fell asleep halfway through and then didn't have time so uh, yeah last weekend we did not record anything but uh Jumping into it now, and the film's two fucking hours long, so I guess we better get started. Pretty neat little opener here. We basically just see, uh, like, a silhouetted scene of musicians finding their seats and warming up. Kind of eases everyone into the idea. Just in general, I like the way this starts out. It feels kind of like an event watching this film. Like, it feels kind of like, oh, we're going to the orchestra. Like, conductor kind of explains what all the pieces are going to be about. Thanks us all for coming, that kind of thing. It feels pretty fun. It's helpful, like, you get... You manage your audience's expectations that too, yeah. to, like, uh, I mean, I don't know what the publicities and the advertisements for the movie were like at the time before it came out, but right. that way... Like previews for, like, home video release and stuff is just, here's Mickey in a wizard robe. And right, which is why I assumed when I checked it out that yeah. it was going to be, you know, a whole story of Mickey right. Wisey in the wizard robe. Like, I want to know what's going on, and then you right. don't get that at all. But, uh, you know, but, you know, they've seen Snow White, they've seen Pinocchio, they're expecting a certain thing yeah. from Disney at this point and they're not going to get that now if 
I didn't know this as I was watching it, but if they had been making shorts with orchestral pieces, like then maybe you're more comfortable with that idea Probably. as an audience member. But still, I think it's good to make it clear, here's what we're doing, here's right. our plan. Here's it's very the, much, like the speech in the beginning is very much like a, don't freak out, children, we're trying right. to culture you up, just settle down. There's three types of things. Like yeah. the opening uh, segment is probably my favorite of them because it's the ease, the most approachable. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, here's what's gonna, here's what you're gonna see. You see the orchestra, and slowly the orchestra is gonna fade into images. Yeah, they explain that by saying this is what you would do if you were listening to this piece in concert. Right. Like you would initially focus on the different musicians, but that's not something that's cool to watch for however right. long this song is gonna play. And it's not like if you went to a concert now where you could watch the lead singer, you know, yay, and cheer right. on the crowd or like. You know, screen. There's, yeah, there's some orchestras that like will have like some sort of visual backdrop screen going on. Right. And like, so, but it's like the Zelda orchestra will have clips from Zelda. But stuff. if you didn't have that, then you'd have to invent your own pressures, right. and that's which is how the film came about. Right. So basically, this whole movie is here's the pictures we see when we hear this music. Right. And maybe you'll enjoy what we see. Right. And the opening piece uh, itself is. Toccata and Fugue by Johann Sebastian Bach. For those of you who aren't familiar with classic music, uh, this is the scary one. This is... So, going to be a lot of mouth sounds in this episode. Just, we're going to have to convey somehow. Do you have... You played in, like, the symphony orchestra a few times when you were in high school. True. Yeah, because, you know, did marching band and all that, but then... Was it like Arkansas Symphony Orchestra or whatever? The, yeah, remember. the youth youth orchestra. And like, here's the thing about that. Other people tried out to be <laughs> in this. And you got it. Like, uh, string players from throughout the state, you know, really worked hard to get into the orchestra. Like, there's the audition process. I played trombone, and trombone players are notoriously lazy. Right. And so they didn't have any trombonists, tromboners, right. whatever, show up. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Show up to audition or whatever. So they still want to do the concert, still need trombone players. So they eventually just send out emails to bank directors. <laughs> Somebody. Like, if you've got any trombone player, we need them. Like, And so that's how I got in. Other people tried out and really wanted to be there and worked hard at it. And I just kind of <laughs> showed up and played with them. Right. Like, hey, guys. But you probably have more of a history with like classical music than I do just for being in band longer, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Because I quit band in junior high and didn't get that far into it. I took a music appreciation class in college and kind of tried to be like, oh, this is what I'm into now. But it, I was never into it. Like, that wasn't a thing. And then, uh, you know, like four years ago, I started dating a middle school band director. So that helps a little bit. I kind of wish she watched this film with me because that might have helped. Uh, talked about having her as a guest on this podcast, but for this episode, the recording schedules didn't work out. She's out of town. It would throw everything off to have someone that knew what they were talking about. <laughs> right, we can't have that. So okay. if you are a musical scholar, prepare for two idiots to just talk <laughs> about this know. shit for So now. this first one, Takeda and Fug You, whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Whatever. That Johan, Sebastian, <laughs> Bechi, or whatever his name is. Batch? Beat Dubbin. Are they down with the pee pants? Is that from uh, Meatwad? Yeah, uh, okay. Aqua Team. Aqua Team, yeah. Anyway... So yeah, this piece really eases us into things. Uh, we just sort of focus on the in- individual instruments that are playing at the time. So we see like, here's the strings, like dramatic version of them. Here's a dramatic clarinets, you know, woodwinds. The song itself would have been something that the audience was familiar with anyway. It was used uh, in a lot of horror movies, early horror, black and white horror movies. I say horror a lot, and then say <laughs> horror. 
and so they, I think that's smart too. You don't want to pick some obscure thing no one's ever heard before. Like you're picking something they're familiar with. Yeah. That helps. Uh, yeah, I definitely say most of the pieces of this film are pretty familiar with. Like, again, don't know a dick about classical music, but I know most of these pieces, so. Uh, and this is definitely one of the more abstract ones of the film. It's just, uh, we get a lot of uh, just visuals of like flowing water, rolling planes, lightning flickers. They're all like synced up with the string music and sort of give a fluttery and then, you know, really lightly feel to it i'm gonna have a hard time atmosphere atmosphere is a good word right but then we get to the sinister movement and then there's big explosions in the sky then we get right back to the fluttering light sounds and it kind of feels like we're going to like a laser floyd show at like the planetarium like it's just it's veg out to this music and watch the pretty lights that are happening right i mean that was the thing that i wrote i know this movie had sort of a resurgence of popularity during the 60s and I wrote down, I'm sure this movie would be a much different uh, experience uh, for those who like to partake in... Drugs. Uh, yeah. In, <laughs> right. In the psychedelic... Might help. And then I wrote for that and for band nerds. Yeah. That's those, those are the two groups of people. But, like, it's fun to see lights and music that are synced together. Like, that's why dorks go crazy with their Christmas decorations and... Uh, right. Yeah. Sync them up with Trans-Siberian Orchestra or whatever, but... Uh, which, have you ever been to one of their shows? I haven't. Do not. Okay. Like, uh, maybe if you're in band, maybe it's a huge experience for you that's wonderful and transformative and all that other bullshit. Because what it really is, is boring. And that's for a show filled with lasers and explosions, which you shouldn't doesn't be able sound to boring. boring. Right. But they did. Mm. Oh, man, is it bad. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Just abstract Dakota and Fugue is our first section. And it's real short. Like, it's like five minutes of the piece. And, uh, I guess that's a good way to sort of ease you into things because the next piece is not five minutes long. It's considerably longer. Uh, next, we go to the Nutcracker Suite by Tchaikovsky. And, uh, if you have seen this film before and you're, like, vaguely remembering things, this is the one with the naked fairies and the flowers. And, uh, yeah, the Nutcracker Suite itself is, like, the, uh, How's it going? Yeah. 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 I don't know. No, but I was thinking, no, it opens with the, uh, yeah, which always reminds me of the episode of Batman the Animated Series, uh, Christmas with the Joker. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, side note, we should start a Batman the Animated Series podcast next, because that's much more fun than talking about Fantasia. Uh, I also thought there's a bit where, like, the fairies are sort of lighting up the flowers that they're flying around, and it looks kind of like they're lighting a Christmas tree, which I assume this thing was always about Christmas. I don't really know. Nutcrackers are Christmassy. I think so. So I, I, I imagine that imagery was meant to be intentional. Right, but I like the song. that each movement of the piece is about a different group of creatures, right? right. The first movement is about fairies. And they're sort of lighting up the whole forest. The next yeah. one is about mushrooms. Did uh, the animated naked fairy children make you feel uncomfortable at all? No. no okay, no, just me no. then. They seemed very prepubescent, so I was kind of like, what Whoa. did make me uncomfortable uh, was the mushrooms. They look a lot like racist and, and also about dicks. To say, we're back to our Dis- uh, Disney racism. Right. Uh, didn't take us long at all in this movie. <laughs> Uh, we got the mushrooms. We get more later. There's a bit that uh, was edited out of this film for being too racist. Oh, so. with, the, with the... Yeah. We'll, we'll get, it's a later movement, but we can uh, talk Great. about it then. Okay, so, yeah, you get the mushrooms, uh, basically with Chinese hats. Basically yeah. what we saw with, with Dopey in Snow White. They got slants for eyes. Yeah. yeah. 
And there's a lot of bowing yeah. going on with these mushrooms, yeah. too. I caught that. I suppose uh, they are vaguely phallic, too, but I went straight to the <laughs> Oh, the first thing I wrote was, next movement has got these little dick mushroom guys <laughs> dancing around in circles. Ugh. So... <laughs> Dick Mushrooms is the worst STD. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, man, don't go out with that girl. She'll give you the Dick Mushrooms. You Ooh. don't want that. Uh, <laughs> you need more than a shot of penicillin for that one. I don't know. Uh, then we go to the other movement everyone knows from Nutcracker, which is the fluttery thing you hummed earlier. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turn the page. <laughs> Uh, this one is, we've gone away from the mushrooms, now we got flowers kind of gently mm-hmm. falling into a stream. Uh, it's fitting for a nice fluttery piece like this. Uh, mm-hmm. Then the flowers turn into ballroom dancers, and as the music becomes, I can't read my notes, as the music becomes more frantic, uh, so does the dancing. It becomes like aggressive spinning and uh, big cymbal crashes, and this is, shit, how did this part go? Is this the da 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 No, because this is when we get really pick up, and it's... Uh, that's it. Crazy flowers dancing around. Uh, the flowers are like tumbling over the waterfall, and there's like cymbal crashes to go along with that. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of excitement for the piece, which has mostly been like really slow and soothing. Yeah. yeah. And then we go right back to slow and soothing as we get fish next. Yeah, we go underwater and we, much like Pinocchio... I was going to say, you thought the other fish was a slut. Yeah, sexy, flirty fish again. And I don't know. Is that... What kind of weird-ass <laughs> thing is Walt Disney into? Like, are the animators sitting around like, well, we want this to make it to the, to the, to the final picture. we got to yeah. make Walt happy. <laughs> yeah, sex up sexy the fish, fish a little bit. Yeah. Notably, I know we make a lot of wrestling references so far on the show, but like... Uh, it's no Vince McMahon enjoys a good bad breath joke, and I think the writers try to find a way to make him laugh, if nothing else. Same deal, apparently, with Walt, maybe. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe fish. Sexy fish. fish. It's a shame he died before they made Little, Little Mermaid. Right, yeah. that would have been really fitting. Wake up! Now we got dancing daisies. Maybe this is the dun 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 I've already forgotten, and my notes are a week old at this point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we get exciting again in Daisy's Dance. I guess Daisy's Dance more than once in this piece. But, uh, yeah, exciting movement, and then everything freezes, and we go right back to the naked prepubescent fairies again. The fairies are bringing new color to the leaves, which is kind of cool. There's a changing of seasons here. We uh, are moving into fall, and then later into winter. Right. And now we got the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. I do know that one. No, so the one that always makes me think of Little Rascals. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> With the frog and the leotard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fairies ice skates, and... I did write down uh, at this point. For the record, we we're half an hour into this film, and I wasn't bored yet. So it's true. Yeah, I was still. I was there for the whole Nutcracker Suite. The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies is the last bit, and that's the end of our Nutcracker Suite uh, piece. And then next we get uh, obviously the most marketed, uh, probably the most well-known part of this film, Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's also the part of the movie that I wrote the least about as I watched. Really, I don't know if that's because I enjoyed it. And therefore didn't write. Like, it was like, okay, let's see what happens here. Yeah. Or if it, I felt like everyone already knows this and there's nothing right. to say about it, I don't know. I did note the composer kind of introduces us to all these pieces before they start and in the process spoils the entire story. Like, he goes through, hey, Mickey Mouse is here. He's an apprentice. He doesn't want to work. So he steals his wizard's uh, hat and then he enchants the brooms to do it for him. But it doesn't work out in the end and the brooms... You know, it becomes overwhelming, and Mickey doesn't know what to do. It's like, you just read the whole book report to us, dude. Like, we don't have to watch <laughs> it now. If you're not familiar with the piece, 
or the Nicolas Cage movie they made based on it. Oh, did, oh that happened. I forgot that happened. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what happened. I know Mickey Mouse wasn't in it, so I don't know how they spun that. But uh, basically, there's a big wizard, uh, Merlin or whoever the hell. He's uh, working yeah, he he's got a wizard. Name. Oh, does uh, he? His name is Yensid. It's okay. Disney spelled backwards. Okay. They gave him both him and the uh, the demon in the last uh, Satan. Yeah, Satan in the last uh, segment of this. Yeah, uh, various traits that Walt had himself. Like <laughs> these are the animators. Uh, I don't know if they're trying to flatter him or what, but uh, I don't know if flatter is the right word. <laughs> yeah, some of the like eyebrow movements or various yeah. things that they tried to get some of Walt's man- mannerisms. Mm-hmm. So we basically get a, a Frankenstein story here where, like, uh, Mickey brings the broom to life, but then right. he can't control it and it gets out of hand. Yeah, Merlin, like, gets tired and goes to bed or whatever old men do. He takes his hat off. Uh, the hat apparently works like the mask in Jim Carrey's The Mask because uh, Mickey takes it, puts it on his head, and now he has magic powers. Mm-hmm. Um, I also noticed Mickey's sleeves are too long. That seems to be a trope that we're getting a lot. The same thing happened with Dopey. Like, any, like, I guess young, like... At like out of his element kind of character that's trying to do something that's uh they like to show that by having clothes that don't fit so mickey enchants the broom and has him do the work for him he's like dumping water in a well or something i don't know why where he's into the isn't it into the the cauldron for whatever potion they're making yeah i think that's what they're doing right but he doesn't know how to make it stop getting water once it starts so he starts the broom and then he just sort of dozes off he has a dream he dreams that he can control the stars and the oceans and he's like thinks that he's god i guess in his dream right and then uh cool little we sync up symbol crashes with like waves crashing on the rock i thought that was pretty cool and thunder as well and at this point mickey wakes up and realizes the broom uh, has fucked everything up and the whole place is flooded <clears throat> and at this point the music's like completely frantic the climax of the piece is mickey like brutally murdering this broom with an yeah, axe because he doesn't know how to fix it yeah. yeah but unfortunately that creates a new broom out of every single splinter so uh now the problem is further exacerbated mickey panics and uh takes refuge on top of the magic book but he's getting sucked down a whirlpool and then at this point, the wizard comes down and is like, what the fuck is this shit? And, like, Moses is a path through the water. Which kind of makes me wonder why the hat is magic in the first place if the guy is already magic and doesn't need the hats. Fair enough. Maybe yeah. it's like, amplifies his already magic powers. I don't know. Yeah. I did uh, say the <laughs> wizard looks a lot like Uncle Iroh from Avatar, and you don't know who that is, but the audience will, so they no, can relate to it. So. Is that the one with the blue people? or is Not that. Okay. The Nickelodeon show. I haven't seen either one, so it could be either yeah, one. I didn't see the Blue People one either. I'm fine with that. I was thinking uh, it would be really cool if they uh, would let us go and record, uh, since there's no dialogue in the film, they would let us go and record some. Like, if you got to be the wizard and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, God damn it, Mickey. That's probably better than doing a podcast about this movie. We could have just done a, a riff tracks, I believe it's called. There you go. Well, should have thought of that first. But Never mind. Uh, so this yeah. is like when they did the press tour for the Tenacious D movie, uh, they talked about how awesome the opening scene was, and every time they do an interview, Powell Gasp was like, yeah, we should have just done the whole movie like as, a, as an opera. Like, it should, every part of it should have been sung. I'll agree with that. Well, that right. made the movie but like better. after each interview, Jack, Jack Black had to be like, dude, stop doing that. <laughs> like, the movie is done. We don't need to tell people how it could have been better while we're trying to convince them to go see our movie. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. What I did, and I'm sorry. Right. 
the Tenacious D movie is bad. Yes. It's not great. I've watched it maybe twice, but I have the soundtrack. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. And the opening so. scene of the movie it's is amazing. the best part right. of the movie. Well, and the climax as well, I'd say. Beelzebos. It's but, pretty sweet. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I learned how to play that on guitar one oh, day when nice. I got bored. Well, the opening does have meatloaf in it, though, so that's pretty true. awesome. And Dio. There you go. So, yeah, Merlin uh, spanks Mickey and ends the piece. So, uh, at this point... We cut back to the orchestra, and Mickey hogs a little more screen time by, like, handshaking the director, which, uh, I guess sort of hammers home the idea that, like, this movie was meant to sell Mickey, I guess. But, uh, also, Mickey never got a standalone film in the, like, he's Walt Disney, like, character, and he's never got his own film in the Disney canon, so that's true. He gets a lot of shorts, like, he's, like, there yeah. Bugs Bunny, you know, but he doesn't have, They like, made a Goofy movie, but not a Mickey movie. And that's also years after yeah. right and that's not in the canon anyway so but there you go don't confuse the people speaking of confusing the people the next piece <clears> that we get uh, would also not be made today yeah I was interested uh, I found that interesting uh, next is Rite of Spring and it's about dinosaurs and, and evolution and right. like all these I, things I thought it was pretty neat that back in 1940 like everyone was totally yeah. cool with no, science and evolution and no now, one was trying to act like the Earth was only 5,000 right, years right. old now there would be boycotts there would be I mean we live in Arkansas there would be boycotts I don't know what there would be <coughs> the rest of the world yeah, maybe <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, we kind of go through the whole like birth of the Earth that, that didn't need to rhyme there but interesting the birth of the Earth yeah and uh, we see like uh, small organisms like growing out of the primordial ooze and eventually evolving up into dinosaurs and we also sort of reveal like we start out with peaceful nothingness which is fitting because that's how the earth started out you know and yeah. then suddenly like oh shit war torn planet and then it's explosions and earthquakes and the earth being formed and then uh, magma flow while the music just kind of gets more chaotic side note I do enjoy Rite of Spring uh when I took that music appreciation class, this was like the only piece I remembered from it with the big, uh, you know, it, string pieces. If you're not familiar, it's like dun 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 dun. But that's also, I wrote that and then like throughout the next 30 minutes while this scene goes on, I eventually backtracked and was like, I really only like the first movement of Right Spring because I don't remember the rest at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically. Skip ahead a bit, and we get dinosaurs, and the whole piece is about dinosaurs. Uh, kids love dinosaurs. Like, if they were really marketing this thing to kids, they would have let off with dinosaurs. Probably. This would have been number one on the, yeah, this would have come first <laughs> in the movie. Right. Uh, this is how you know they're not marketing to kids at this right. point in their lives. But, uh, yeah, we get, uh, you know, we see sort of the growth from the primordial ooze up into full-blown dinosaurs. We see pterodactyls watching from up above, looking like vultures, and, you know. We sort of show that it's like a dino eat dino world out there. Then we show some three horns, and uh, pretty sure this is where Shark Tooth shows up and kills Littlefoot's mom. When the T Rex does show up, uh, he's clearly a total badass that everyone else is afraid of, and like right. it's shown to be this destructive force. Right. I said that. Uh, I, I, yes, he is. I agree with that. But also, uh, he, I wrote down he doesn't exactly look graceful. Like he basically does the like. I'm a scary monster, like, stomp. Well, right, it's yeah. a bit over the top. Then we get a dino fight between a, a Stegosaurus and the, the T-Rex, and this is probably, you know, the most memorable bit of this section. Someone's going to be sitting at home, like, that's not actually a T-Rex, that is a Alapakia door. Like, I know that's a little tight. <laughs> yes. 
But, uh, well, let's see how they like this note. I wrote down that the Stegosaurus has a ridiculous ass-to-head size ratio. <laughs> His head is tiny compared to the rest of him. <laughs> so we get the fight between the Stegosaurus and the T-Rex, and there's a, like, uh, repeated uh, reprieve. That's a musical term, right? Uh, there's a repeated as a coda, maybe. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Every time the dino or the T-Rex hits hard, there's like a boom, boom, boom. And that sort of takes us through the uh, like violent, brutal death of the, uh, the Stegosaurus here. And then the T-Rex poses over him, and it's pretty cool. And sadly, that's not the end of the piece, because we keep going, and there's a new movement where now everything's shitty and barren, and the dinosaurs are like eating sticks and mud. And there's a drought. Yeah, they're looking for the Great Valley, but they find quicksand instead. Even the mighty T-Rex. Yeah, uh, he's starving as yeah. well. Well, like dying of thirst, I guess, because right. he could be eating all those other dinosaurs. The thirst. Right. Sort of the plot of the, the new Jungle Book movie, uh, new at the time to us. But like, <laughs> I still haven't seen it. Oh, well, there's, there's a, a drought, drought. and oh. during the drought, it's supposed to be, there's like a drought truce. I don't remember what it's called exactly, but like the predators won't hunt the, the other animals. Until there's water again, but then Shere Khan is Shere Khan, and that's what he wants, and this whole thing. Interesting. Is that why the wolves don't eat? <laughs> like, Yeah, that's how they explain that word, uh, like, in the cartoon. Yeah, he hangs out like, with a bear and a panther, and they're right. just nice and friends. Okay, interesting. Um, so, yeah, dinosaurs end up in quicksand, and then, uh, then they were bones, <laughs> and that's the end of the piece. It's a little depressing. Very uh, uplifting. Well, the end of the movement, at least, because uh, then we get a giant earthquake and the uh, plate tectonics get all fucked around, and then, you know, it's basically showing how the earth continued to form itself even after the dinosaurs. But at this point, I was pretty much losing interest in this film. I think this was around where I fell asleep. But uh, we're about at the halfway point of the film, and I, was, uh, I, I compared it watching this to, like, so when I first watched this film, I tried to convince myself that I was, like, way into it, but it was a lot like the time I tried to get into Rush. You know, Rush, whatever. If they're your favorite band, they're great. Like, they're very talented. I was not a big fan of Rush. I got into a couple albums and was like, no, this is really good. And then I listened to, like, Tom Sawyer and uh, Limelight, and that was, like, it. I was mostly just listening to them to, like, seem like I was cultured and not... No, I wasn't actually into them. So, like... And I sort of kept going with that, and it's like, there's some legitimately awesome things to this movie, like, there's some legitimately awesome things to Rush, but it's largely not for me. Now, we do go into a better section of film after this dinosaur piece, but the uh, the dinosaur piece takes a lot out of me, because it's I very long. I feel like, you know, at the beginning of this episode, you said that it was going to be an adventure, and it could be awful, because, uh, you know... We didn't have a lot to say about the movie itself. So I feel like we have replaced that by just shitting on things other people like. like <laughs> Maybe. We talked about, about Rush. We talked about band nerds, people who know a lot about dinosaurs. Like You did most of that. And I was apologetic to the Rush fans. Yeah. I like the song The Trees. It's really stupid, though. Anyway, uh, at this point we have an intermission, which... Uh, That's a thing they don't do anymore. Yeah. Uh, I... 
intermissions have been ruined for me because of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like, I kind of feel like as movies are getting longer and longer, as they seem to be doing, like it might even comeback. superhero movies are over two hours long now for no real reason. Like this would be a good time to be like, hey, everybody needs a pee break. <laughs> Let's meet back in five. Yeah, you know? Pause for a second here. But yeah, it's hard to see the word intermission on the screen without thinking of like the jazzy little. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, when the musicians come back, we get a little bit of like jazzy improv from them, which I thought was a fun little way to break things up. Yeah, well, is it the part with the sound waves? Uh, yes, that's yeah, what actually okay. the main thing we get next. But there was like two or three minutes of just like a violinist, I think, just like fucking around before that. That'd be a fiddle player. That's what you're talking about. Yes, okay. the fiddle. But then we get the sound, the soundtrack is what he calls it. Uh, it's like a vertical wave bar. If you've seen, like, we're recording this on Audacity, like, we know what sound waves look like. Uh, this is basically the same kind of deal. I thought this part was, like, useful if you're trying to teach kids about music, but not necessary in a two-hour film, you know? Yeah, probably could have been cut. Right. Uh, I like the idea of having little, like, time-killing elements here to just kind of break things up, you know? Because it... If it was just eight straight classical music pieces, it'd probably kill you even more. But uh, at the same time, like, it's already a long film. We could have streamlined this a little bit. But uh, after that, we get some Beethoven. We get the, it's called the Pastoral Symphony. And the conductor explains that uh, Beethoven wrote it imagining the music just painting a scene of, like, life in the countryside. But we are totally shucking that and just going with, here's Mount Olympus and all kinds of fun uh, mythological creatures. and So we've got a one-two punch of evolution and mythology. That, yeah, like, pretty interesting. Uh, that shouldn't be controversial, but right. are now. And like What I find most uh, controversial and upsetting about this is the fact that he keeps jumping back and forth between Greek and Roman mythology mm-hmm. like with the names. Because he definitely says Bacchus, mm-hmm. which is Roman. But he says Zeus, which is Greek, like it should be Jupiter if we're going Roman. Right. I think he's just trying to pick the names that are the most widely known. Like maybe, maybe Bac- yeah, because Bacchus easily more right? Yeah, the, the, the Dionysus. Yeah. He also uses the word centaurets, which fuck you, that's not a word. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. You made them like like fucking cheerleaders, like for the centaur, right. for the centaurs, and the centaurets. Yeah. Yeah. Girl centaurs. <laughs> But yeah, he goes through and once again spoils the whole scene for us before it starts. Centaurinas, I think. I think so. I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) But he tells us all about Zeus and Pegasus and Diana shooting a bow. Pretty sure Diana's Roman as well. But uh, this is one of the pieces where I found was more plot heavy than anything else. Like it's, I noticed the music a lot less in this section than I did anywhere else because the focus seemed to be on telling a story with these, you know, animated creatures. So we get... Uh, it opens with uh, dancing satyrs dancing around, playing their little pan flutes or whatever, and also like cute little unicorns running around. I did think this was probably the most adorable piece. Yeah, interesting. I think uh, you get the winged horses, mm-hmm. you get them in a way that I've never pictured them before. Like the horses with wings, I imagine them still pretty much just being horses. Right. But like they sort of imagine them like giant ass like swans. Like yeah, they swim around like that. Yeah. So they're horses. They run, but they also fly and just swim through the water like swans. Right. That's weird. Uh, we get first of all, uh, we do get an interracial Pegasus couple here. Yeah. So good yeah, for them on that one. There's a white horse and a black horse, which produce like a a black uh, Pegasus foal, I guess, with a like a white mane and tail. 
the mother's trying to teach him how to fly at the beginning, which, uh, pretty cute. He, like, starts flying, but his ass is dragging, so he, like, turns around and bites his tail and pulls it back up. Uh, I thought that was pretty cute. Also, I know, like, magic and everything would explain this, but, uh, the idea of a pegasus in general I've always had problems with because, like, birds' bones are hollow. Like, they, birds are meant to be the lightest thing in the world, so their, like, light feathery wings can actually get them off the ground. And I don't care how big you make the wings, there's no way you're getting a 1,200-pound horse ass off the ground with that. Like, that's, there's no physics to that. And the same's true when they're swimming around like geese. Like, there's no way that's buoyant. Like, yeah, but it's not that graceful. Like, right. they don't float on top like a bird does. Yeah. Ugh. So then we get to see the centaurs and the aforementioned centaurettes. Right. Uh, yeah, we move away from the flying horses and get to the nude-titted centaur women. Which is weird. They don't have nipples, right. which is odd. But what I found a little bit... Found. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but what I found a little bit more odd was uh, the lack of abs on the male ones. Like, maybe this is... Uh, I don't know what this is. Like, just, I expected there to be abs there. These, yeah. What are these fat ass centaurs doing here? Like, do you even work out? Like, uh, yeah. the like the centaurettes or whatever. They've got like weird like Barbie chests where it's just right nothing. And then the males, like you would imagine, like most of your Greek statues have some ab muscles, right? You like, think so? But no, no, they don't have any of that here. Like, just, right. Uh, so yeah, probably wouldn't. They would probably put some sort of top on the. Uh, the centaurettes if they made this these days. Also, not sure we'd see so many naked cherub babies flying around. Those made me way uncom- more uncomfortable than anything else in this. With just there's a lot of baby ass in this film, particularly this section. And also, like they got no genitalia, but that doesn't stop them from showing us like here's a naked baby with no genitalia with his legs spread for the camera. It's very strange and. I'm not cool with it. I don't know what they were doing in the 40s, but I did not want to see so much of that, especially jumping ahead. The, like, cherubs make, not make, they, they introduce these two centaurs to each other, and they sort of fall in love, and it ends with them, like, pulling the curtains on the scene, and then, like, one baby, like, bends over, and then his ass turns into a heart, and right. that's, yeah. that's the end of the scene, and it's really weird. I don't want this. <laughs> I, don't I didn't know. sign up. We're on some sort of list now because we yeah. checked out this movie. But uh, yeah, basically the uh, the cherub angel baby things are trying to uh, you know introduce all these centaurettes to. There's a herd of male centaurs coming around. They want to hook them all up. They sort of uh, dress them up with flowers and like doves. Puts doves on one of them's head. Right. Yeah. You just wear birds as clothing now. The centaurs all meet, and they, uh, you know, they start going steady. Also wrote down that the Pegasi couple can be interracial, but the centaurs cannot. Right. They all, you know, male and female centaurs all pair up. The blue one on. with the blue one, right. and the red one with the red one. There's no deviating from that. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the racist bit? Was that this part? Or? Yes, it actually might have been a little bit sooner, because I think it was more the Pegasus than the centaurs, but... If you're not familiar with this, I believe you can find it on YouTube. I'll probably pull it up in a second just to uh, refresh our memory of it. But this is a scene that has never been included in any sort of uh, uh, home video release of Fantasia because it was deemed uh, too racist for, you know, it was a sign values of the 40s not being okay in later years. But basically there's a scene where, like, I believe it's the uh, 
the white Pegasus mom we saw earlier is like gloriously marching onto the scene and then we get uh basically like a black mammy like donkey kind of uh Pegasus walks up and like starts shining her shoes and trying to make her look pretty and acceptable and it's yeah it's definitely not cool and that's why it's not included anymore but uh we've seen lots of Disney racist stereotypes along the way but this is the first one that we don't get to see because it got cut out so have you seen the actual clip no I don't think so so yeah here we go yes that is racist <laughs> but that's not that's not Pegasus though is it not I don't know those are definitely is. centaurs okay I was wrong then do that whole part over again now <laughs> whereas before in the actual film we got cherubs dressing these uh centaur women we also got someone else doing it earlier but that's no longer in the film and uh not the last of disney's racism and probably not the most extreme but it was extreme enough to get removed from the film so yeah and basically we it's the end of this kind of movement uh we pull the curtains on the scene while presumably a huge bang session goes on between the centaurs here. that's a wolf <laughs> it should be neighing sexy noise oh, okay. all right i'll give you one of these <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we started making horse noises into a microphone. Oh. That was the best one. <laughs> Good job. We nailed it. Five stars. Okay, new movement. Now we're harvesting grapes to make some wine. And here's uh, Bacchus slash Dionysus slash whichever you want to call him. I didn't think Bacchus was perfect. Yeah, uh, he was pretty great. And just comes in right in a donkey. Right. That's that's a good if depiction. he's going to be the god of drunkenness, like right. that's what he should look like. Just make him stupid drunk throughout the whole time. He's uh, not taking anything seriously, and his goal is to get wine. Also, gives the wine to the donkey, which I don't know that I want to see a drunk donkey. I don't think that'll end well. I think uh, that's what we saw in Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, guess right. yeah, they made jackasses out of themselves, true. and then they got locked up on Pleasure Island. So <laughs> this could have been a little boy at one point. At this point, I was thinking, I, should, you know, uh, we talked about the creativity of this film in the beginning. I don't think I would have ever listened to a Beethoven symphony and been like, you know what this makes me think of? Centaur dance scene. But, you know, that's what we're getting. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no inventive. way to deny the creativity of the, right. of the animators here. So, yeah, uh, Bacchus kisses the donkey and then storm clouds show up and oh shit, it's Zeus. He's bored, I guess. Yeah, he's just a dick. Right. Like, well, that's pretty, like, fitting with Greek mythology. Right. We took out all the fun, like, I'm going to have sex with anything I can find, <laughs> right. Zeus, and just, like, yeah, we'll blow some shit up because right. of Zeus. He's like, bored, so he throws some lightning bolts at everyone. I did think Zeus's design very similar to how he looks 50 years later in the Hercules movie. Mm-hmm. Like, he's blue instead of orange, but same kind of beard, same kind of... Uh, if he was voiced, I like to think John Goodman would have done it too. So, but yeah, he's forged some lightning bolts, so he tries to throw them at the donkey for some reason. Well, to be clear, he doesn't actually forge them; they're forged by I don't remember. Oh, the other guy. Uh, what is his name? <laughs> Shit, uh, Hephaestus, the god of the hearth. Yeah, Hephaestus. Is that what Hephaestus does? Or, yeah, or or Vulcan. Is he, is it, is yeah, they call him Vulcan. Yeah, yeah so they're forged. They're forged. They're forged by Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. They were actually forged. John. <laughs> they were forged by Vulcan. Right. Get it right. Live long and prosper. So yeah, the centaurs uh, panic with the storm coming to try to save the unicorns and the pegasi, and Bacchus gets trapped Is in the flood. Is that the plural? Pegasi? Yeah. I didn't know. 
Surely, you wouldn't say Pegasuses. Pegasuses? But they're just, he's just one, right? Are they all called Pegasuses? Like, I, I thought just the creature. Winged horses. Yeah, what in I'm actual talking. mythology, I think there's just one Pegasus. But in this film, it's clearly a race. I'm calling them Pegasides. So. No, I just thought they were just winged horses. I didn't know they were all Pegasus. I didn't know, like, if one of you's famous and that makes everyone else, like, is this like Coke? Like, in the Please. South, like, any any type of right. carbonated beverage is a Coke, no matter who makes it. Right. Like, every, every winged horse is Pegasus? Like, Give me a Kleenex. Okay, all right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they all try to escape. Uh, I mean, Bacchus gets trapped in a flood of wine, but couldn't be happier with this fact. He's just like, all right, fuck it. Oh, damn, what are yeah. you going to do? Uh, and then Zeus gets bored and then, you know, goes to bed. There's a lot of going to bed in these Disney movies, like every film we've had. No wonder you some sort of sleep They were trying to tell you to fall asleep the whole way. Like, mm-hmm. these guys are going to sleep, I should too. Yeah, uh, once the storm is over, the, the centaurs start blowing the horn of Gondor and let everyone know that the storm is over, I guess. Like you do. Uh, the blue centaur couple comes back from their bone sesh to greet the new day, and then we get a rainbow going across the sky. Uh... That, like, makes little rainbow puddles that, like, Bacchus drinks out of. That's It's weird. And then we get, uh, you know, a couple cameo appearances for some other Greek gods. Apollo's flying the sun across, and then whoever's the moon. <laughs> like, the moon, the night sky comes across. Uh, Diana? Well, she's the one that shoots. Yeah, Diana is the crescent moon, is her bow. I remember that. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. What do you mean? You remember things. Yeah. So that's basically the end of that piece. Uh, still two more of these left. I, you know, since I fell asleep the first time, I watched this film in two sessions, so I'm still feeling pretty energized at this point in my notes. But I know every other time I've watched this uh, movie, by this point I was, like, spent. And was just totally, like, ready to get to the ends. Because I I, you watched it in one session, right? Like, did you? I did, yeah. Were you about done at this point, or were you still... Uh, yeah, I mean, next we get the dance of the hours. It's kind of like I get it, and so like this point, I'm like looking at my iPad and like halfway watching, writing things every now and then because like yeah. it's cool that there's hippos doing ballet, but right. I saw it, you know, like mm-hmm. it's only so cool for so long. Like I feel like in each one of these pieces was half as long as it was, right? And we had or they just movie. had half as many, like yeah, because the ballet one is cute, like I guess, but. It's not memorable after you watch eight of these things. Like that's one I always forget about. Well, in the in the the yeah the hippo one because they used the song that they use. All I could hear was the dumbass hello mother. Hello, and so I'm not paying any attention to the hippos. I'm singing that song. I did that. Well, that one will be easy to remember. One trying to remember the words to that as I was, and then you know, which is not their fault. As that obviously that bit came after. This movie, but yeah, not a lot to talk about in this piece. Like ostriches dance, then a hippo dances, then some crocodiles invade. That's really most of it. I will yeah, say I wrote three things on this. <laughs> Four things: ostrich ballet, hello mother, hello father, hippo ballet, elephants too. Period. <laughs> That's not even the elephants show up like halfway through. There's more <laughs> after that. Period. <laughs> Sorry, right. I talked about. Jumping Flash 2 for the PlayStation. Oh, I like that game. That, it's, I mean, it's not good. If you're not familiar with it, picture a PlayStation 1 game. Like, it's pretty shitty. I mean, it's, picture a first-person one at that. Yeah. But, like, I thought about it because, like, there's a little fountain in the middle that the ostriches are dancing on. And then it's, like, it's clearly, like, two inches deep or whatever. 
not big around, and then the big fucking hippo comes out of it. So it's like, how deep is that hole? Like, how big is the underwater cavern there? And that just made me think of, in that game, there's, like, scenes that terrified me as a kid where, like, you have to go down through, like, it'll just be a hole in the ground, and then you plunge, like, 60 feet down into water, and you can't jump back up because you can't see the ceiling because the game's stupid and broken. <laughs> but I, I don't know. That was, it was a really scary idea. I talked about being afraid of big things in the water in Pinocchio. Also, was a little afraid of, down, of drowning because, like, if you go down into the water and you can't find your way back out, that's real scary to me. Even in a video game, but especially in a video game, more so than a movie, it's oh, like nice. then you're experiencing the panic itself, you know. But okay. uh, also, I would have been like eight when I was playing that game. So, do we have anything else to say about the ballet section? Uh. Well, I wrote another paragraph, which is more than you did, so... <laughs> Elephants, too. Boom. Uh, now it's hippos and tutus dancing instead of ostriches. Pretty amusing scene. Uh, you wouldn't expect an enormous fucking animal like a hippo or elephant to be able to do a graceful ballet. It kind of made me think of, like, you know, football players take ballet to get, uh, you know, light on their feet or whatever to yeah. make them better, especially, like, linemen yeah. do that. I imagine this is what they would look like while they're doing their ballet. <laughs> Probably with a tutu and everything. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe, like, in full pads, plus a tutu. <laughs> uh, then we get a scene where elephants blow bubbles. I wrote more of that in the next episode, because next up's Dumbo. Look out for that one. Uh, then, now it's nighttime, hippo's sleeping, and then there's some scary crocodiles show up with Dracula capes. Like, that was kind of interesting. Uh, animation note. Uh, I noticed the, the crocodiles, the, a lot of their movements and, like, facial expressions reminded me of Joanna from Rescuers Down Under, the little Komodo dragon. I don't know what she's supposed to be, but th that hangs out with the bad, the bad guy, the big lizard. I guess that's my only Disney or frame of reference for another reptile character like that, but uh, it's good to see like a 50-year gap there. There's a lot of animation style that kind of stays the same, uh, even across all that time, just from the movement and like the facial expressions is pretty much the same kind of deal. Then the croc uh, tries to, like, dance eat the hippo, and the hippo totally squashes him. And if this was, like, an IRL fight, my money's on the hippo over the crocodile. Like, there's no way one crocodile's taking down a hippo. And crocodiles aren't pack animals, yeah. so... Like, hippo wins. Right, but they dance fight, like, something out of West Side Story or something. Yeah, kinda. It's like, we're dancing, and then I try to bite you, and I don't know. There was a hand motion that went along with that audience, where I did, like, a yeah. But uh, that's basically the end of that one. Not a lot going on. And then we finally reach the final number. Uh, it's time for Satan, everybody. It's Night on Bald Mountain, which transitions into Ave Maria. Another thing, seeing Satan in a Disney movie, like, that's probably not something they would do now. Like, here's just, oh shit, here's everyone, like, every religion's horrifying idea of, like, the worst thing in the world, a giant demon that's gonna, like, play God with the souls of the damned and just they, torture uh, everyone. And according to the IMDb trivia page for Fantasia, Disney still receives angry parent letters about this scene to this really? day. About like just for scaring the kids? Yeah, or how scared their kids were, how it wasn't appropriate for a kid's movie wow. or whatever. Well, uh, it's, I mean, that's another thing where it's like, if you watch the whole scene, Satan's defeated by, like, the heavenly lights. Yeah, I know, the end. boring bullshit part of it. Right, like, I agree. Awesome, like, metal part. Yeah, this is easily the most interesting part of this film. It sucks that you have to wait so long to get to this bit, but, like, uh, Night on Bald Mountain itself, a really fun piece. Like, 
you got if you're not familiar with this film. Like that's there's like a fucking Reese's commercial or something now that's using it. I think. Wasn't they use it at Halloween time? Also that right. And then, uh, yeah, we basically get every scary thing you can imagine at once. We get bats, vultures, a hangman's noose, like creepy ghost skeletons. Then we get some demon titties. We do actually get nipples in a Disney film. We do, so yeah. That's uh, pretty crazy. And so we get... You're whacking it home. It's just the scene to look for. Right. It's literally like three frames and then they're gone. Right. And they're scary as hell. Right. They're like harpy women. But uh, yeah, Satan is just summoning the souls of the damned and just amusing himself himself with them. And we get it's basically just a uh, like a giant close up on his horrifying grin, or like we'll just see his hands coming into frame. And it's really like I get why kids would be scared of this because it's pretty terrifying. We have said, don't allow your kids to be bitches. Like it's not that scary, <laughs> right? Well, I, I mean, the kids were probably fine. It's probably just parents being scared for them, probably. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's okay. That being said, bitch kid over here was scared of a whale in Pinocchio, so... Okay. But yeah, so Satan's summoning the souls of the damned and then just, like, dropping them into fires because he can. He makes some sexy flame ladies, and then, like, while yeah, they're he dancing, does. he just transforms them into horrifying monsters after that. It's like... Just basically <laughs> showing off what all he yeah, can do. Yeah, because this is what amuses him. And, uh, you know, the music swells, and... Oh, I guess I should probably shut up while it's doing that. So the music swells, we build up to like our big conclusion, and Satan basically like jizzes fire into the air, and that's <laughs> that's our climax. And then, uh, then right after that happens, we get silence, and then I'm we start to get got some sort of. I mean, you might have the dick mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, yikes! That's all the callback. There you go. And then we get the it's just silence, and uh, you know Satan's kind of looming over it, and then we get the the tolling of the bell. Every time that happens, like light. A bright light fills the screen and like it blinds Satan. We get a little bit of that, and then eventually the Ave Maria choruses start up, and Satan sort of goes back to sleep, and you know it's defeated by you know the heavenly imagery. Eventually, good triumphs over evil, and all that. This is still the boring part of the film. <laughs> Dustin's making a face. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't help that this is after two hours of watching this, and it's kind of like, uh, let's go to bed already, film. But, uh, yeah, and we get, like, hooded figures with, like, like torches making a pilgrimage while we sing the Ava Maria Chorus. It's, uh, you know, I'm ready for this film to end at this point. It peaked with Satan. But then, uh, you know, the, the, last, the last image is we sort of see peeking through some trees into, like, a far green place. That's a Lord of the Rings reference, so boom. And then, uh, you know, it's like we finally see the Great Valley. If only those dinosaurs would have made it here. Here's the, uh, what they were looking for. Abundance of foliage and water and life. And uh, just took two hours to get there. <laughs> and we close on the image of a sunrise, which is pretty fitting. A switch sunrise, perhaps, if we want to go back to Tolkien. Yeah. Cool. Can we review Lord of the Rings next? So that's that. That's Fantasia. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that fantastic. <laughs> I think I know how you feel about this one. Oh boy. I don't, I'll, I'll say again. Creative. I like that this film exists. And I like even more that it came out so early in the canon. Like it's clearly something they wanted to do. And I think that reflects in the film itself. 
there are some movements that I find really interesting. Like, uh, it, probably the Greek gods one is my favorite, and then I do like the Night on Bald, Night on Bald Mountain, Ave Maria one. Uh, there's there's some imagery that's just cool as hell. You know, there's a lot of things to like. Uh, I mean, do we want to stay with like for a second? Do you have a favorite piece on this? I, I like the idea of this movie more than I like the movie itself. Like, also true for Rush. <laughs> Like, the, it's creative, it's imaginative, it's like, what can we do to, you know, to translate these pieces or, you know, to visualize these pieces? Right. I appreciate that. That said, it drags. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it didn't, if you were seeing this type of animation for the first time, like maybe in 1940, this is holy shit, edge of your seat the whole right. time, where now it's pretty boring. Uh, I... And see, this is the thing. Like, if I talk about any of the pieces individually, it's going to sound like I really like them. <laughs> but then that's what I was saying. Like, if each piece was there but was half as long as it originally was, right. I don't think I would have gotten as bored. Uh, I mean, I really liked the uh, the opening one. Uh, see, I don't know any of their names. Sada and Fugue. Yeah, that one. I um, don't worry. I wrote them down. That's the only reason I wrote them. The, the, uh, the Nutcracker was good. Um, the Nutcracker. It's very long, though. I like anything with dinosaurs, so I'm not even going to complain about that. Yeah. But they all are just too long, really. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's living in, you know, 2016. Like, we all have shorter attention spans than we did in the 40s, I think, because there's more shit to I do. I mean, I like long movies, but I don't know yeah. that there's enough story but to... you have plot in those. Right, and not, yeah. And not just, here's 25 minutes of images right. that are loosely based on I can just, uh, you know... They're not like a 90s Windows screensaver for right, two hours yeah. and watch that. Uh, yeah, I all the things I do enjoy about this film, I do not find it that fun to watch. Maybe I did the first time I watched it, but at this point, yeah, at least not in its entirety. Several of the pieces go on way too long. I mean, maybe if you watch them one segment at a time. Like if you maybe. were just like watching I'm it in two sessions helped me a lot. Like if I tried to watch it all at once, like there's a reason I fell asleep. If you just sat down and said, oh, I'm just gonna watch the pastoral scene today. Yeah. Like then maybe you'd enjoy it more yeah. than watching the whole thing. Usually things are better when you watch them in the context of a larger piece of work. Uh, right. this is the opposite of like <laughs> you should hear the whole album, it's great. This is totally no keep that single. That's all <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, I compared this earlier to seeing a laser show at like the planetarium. And if I were to attend one of those, I would also be totally checked out like an hour into things. So, uh, Nutcracker Suite, Rite of Spring, Dance of the Hours, they all bring very little to the table, as do the dumb like time killers, like introducing the soundtrack. And that collectively makes up like an hour of this film. So, yeah, I like the concepts. I like that it exists, but certainly not one of my favorites. Uh, so how the hell is it going to look? How's it going to stand up on this ridiculous grading scale? <laughs> If you listen to the first episode where we, to the intro episode to what we're doing, there are six categories that we are uh, ranking these movies in. Right. Uh, they all start with an M. And this is, I, I mean, it's going to be weird reviewing this film because we're not, this isn't just a grading of how good of a film it is. I think we've said the praises of what we like about this. Again, this isn't like a critique of the film itself, but this is... How well, how much, how Disney is this film? Well, we're trying to find the Disneyest film we can, and what we like to think that these six things are going to give us the best Disney score, and this film itself, I don't think is going to have that great of one, especially compared to the Snow Whites of the world. But uh, yeah, the first thing we got 
again, this is an issue. The first thing we're grading it on is, uh, we call it the matters, but the plot of the film, how do you give a plot score to a largely plotless film? Right, even if you take them as individual stories, and right. so, like, since there's not an overarching plot, even then there's not really a somebody, you know, you don't really have protagonists and antagonists so much. I gave it a two. Yeah, I did the same. I In parentheses, I put, uh, never mind, I actually put drags. I thought it said drugs. I was going to say, like, maybe if you were on drugs, you could invent your own <laughs> Both plot. points are good. <laughs> <laughs> it's valid. Uh, it actually drags. Now, as I could probably read what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was bad that I couldn't read your handwriting. It's good to see you can read You struggled to read yours, and yours is printed hey, like with a computer. But no, no, I had an issue. Uh, some lines didn't print right. So you only get like the bottom half of the word, so I couldn't read the word frantic. I see. Uh, Yeah, I gave it two points as well. Uh, Plots that we do get, like every piece that has a plot, I generally enjoy it. Like uh, the ones that are completely abstract, those are the ones that throughout this I've kind of been like, eh, not that interested in this piece, guys, let's move it. But, uh, you know, I like the plot of Sorcerer's Apprentice. I like the plot of the God and Satan one. Uh, To some extent, I like the dinosaurs, but... Two points for all the rest of the film weighing it down. Similarly, if you go on to the meanie, the, uh, right, the villain of the piece, Disney villains are a big deal. Who's the meanie of this film? I mean, you've really got two options. You've got yeah. Satan and you've got the T-Rex. Really, the only <laughs> yeah. things that look... I mean, those uh, are cool like villains. <laughs> right, <laughs> Satan and T-Rex. Like an all-time tag team of villains. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're picking teams for a villain you know, tournament. Like, Satan and his pet T-Rex. Yeah, those are two number one draft picks right there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, uh, they, I mean they're, they're not in the whole film. They either <laughs> don't get to do much, or are easily defeated in right. the T Rex's case by drought, and in Satan's case by bells and sunlight. <laughs> right, God, oh. let's get it right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, I, I gave, gave it, Satan two pity points. <laughs> yeah, I gave it a two as well. Right, I I will say. Satan partially gets those points just for being Satan and being the ultimate meanie by default. But he also makes the most of his screen time, so I'll give him that. Got anything for message? Uh, I actually... Not so much the message of any of the one pieces in particular, but the message of have an idea, make it happen. Like, we hear this song, what does this song make you think? draw that, make that a thing, like work together yeah. to make that come to life. So that's a good message. Uh, none of the individual pieces have right. a message to them or whatever, but I like that, like, and they sort of explain that in the beginning of like, this is what we're trying to do, this is what yeah. we want you to get from this. Uh, so I did give the message a three and a half. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of that, so I will agree with that now. I'm not going to change my score based on that, because I don't want to. But uh, I, I wrote down the messages, go to the symphony. <laughs> like, it's fun. Perhaps, so yeah. I gave it one point for that one. Music. Music's important to this film. Uh, music and visuals are about all the film brings to the table. So it's not Disney music. So if you want to count off for that, like, that's, I mean, we're we're ranking how Disney the movie is. And it's not like this is loaded with Disney songs. You remember, it's classical music. But it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a good job of incorporating already existing music into a Disney world. Right, and perhaps making existing music more approachable <clears throat> yeah, to, definitely. Uh, to a larger audience. So yeah, and I think that's cool. So 
I'm not going to give it a perfect score for it, but I think it deserves four out of five for yeah. just the ability to take that music. And I gave it three. I felt like I couldn't go any higher than three since they didn't actually create any of this music. They just used all of this music. Right. Um, it's again, they were good choices, and it's cool what they're trying to do. But I feel like if we're ranking them on their Disneyness. Part of what makes Disney movies Disney movies is the original songs. Right. And if you aren't, if you don't have original songs, you're losing out. So yeah. uh, I gave it a three. They're obviously great songs, but they're not their own songs. Right. Uh, mise-en-scene? Mise-en-scene, with all the visuals and all the music and all of that, uh, I mean, four and a half. Could have yeah. easily gone five. Don't want to go five because I don't like this movie. But like, if I talk about <laughs> it's any, a no five rule. It's, it's a weird thing. Like, if I talk about any aspect of this movie, I can make it sound like I really right. like it. But then if I put it like this is like when people try to act really cool, like we were saying about Rush earlier. It's like, yeah, this is what I like. But like, if you actually sit and listen to any of it or watch this movie, right. it's boring and it's not as good as you think it right. is. Like, it's you can call it the greatest film ever and you can call it boring as shit at the same time and they're both valid <laughs> so yeah like five points there and uh that that's mise on it and then that brings us to our final category which is magic uh disney magic how magical is the film and how much is basically this category encompasses the entire fucking rubric we got but uh i will say there's some magic to the film but again, it's too long and too watered down with not magic to call the film magical. So I don't. I think there's a reason that Disney only chooses to remember the Sorcerer's Apprentice scene and not so much the rest of the film. Like that's that's what you got if you want to picture Fantasia, picture that. That's your Disney magic, and I I will give it three points based on that. Uh, I did too, and and you're right. The when you think of like this movie. But usually for the magic, I try to think about it like if you had to reduce the movie into a GIF <laughs> okay. or GIF, uh, if you had to reduce it to that, like what would it be? And like for this one, it would be something with Mickey in the, you know, either bringing the room to life at that moment or like right. the part where he's conducting the oceans or whatever. Right. Probably. That would be that moment. Uh, for Cinderella, it's obviously the moment as she goes from the rags into the ball gown. Uh, when, we haven't done that one yet, but that would be yeah. the magic. You could have picked one we already did. It would be the magic moment for Snow White, uh, biting the yeah, apple. I'd say biting the apple and the yeah. fall down dead. Right. Pinocchio, maybe the first time his nose grows, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, hard to pick one, Pinocchio, but what's the magic of fucking Dumbo? <laughs> yeah. When it's over. Yeah. <laughs> the credits roll, it's magic. <laughs> I haven't even started that one yet, and we already zinged it. Yeah. Uh, but for this one, I gave it a three. Like, there's magic in the love of imagination that's into this movie. Right. Uh, and and but, uh, in that's the Mickey scene. to carry the uh, film. No, just three. Yeah. So if we add up mine, I gave it the two for the matters, the two for the meanie, the four and a half for the mise-en-scene, the three for the music, three and a half for message, and three for magic. That's... Yeah, what's your math? <laughs> I... I got 18, is that right? I wasn't listening, but I'll take your word. We're along the same lines here, because... Uh, yeah, it is 18. I gave it 18, which puts it now in third place. Uh, Pinocchio got 20 and a half, and Snow White got 23, so that's my list right now. We're on the, along the same lines here, because I gave two points to the matters, uh, two points to the meanie, one point to the message, four points to the music, five points for the mise-en-scene, like three points to the magic, which holds up, which totals up to 17. That's... 17 demon titties out of 30. Oh, I forgot to say what mine were. Yeah, mine are 18 uh, hippo ballerinas. 
out of out of thirty. Mm-hmm. So mine, uh, yeah, that puts mine at the bottom of the list. It's one point if you're keeping track. It's one point shittier than Pinocchio was. <laughs> Pinocchio got an eighty to eighteen for me. Point shittier. <laughs> well, I mean, and that sucks because I think I would rather watch this than Pinocchio. I mean, I don't know. That's a hard choice to make, but Pinocchio feels more like a Disney film than this does. There's, I'd say, Which, there's more magic. This has not come up yet. Uh, but when we should either of us end up with a tie between two movies, what we will use as the tiebreaker is the magic category. That's what I originally did in 2009. That's the first I've heard of this, but, but it sounds good. That's what I did in 2009. Yeah. I feel like magic is the yeah. most defining. Now, if it's still tied after that, who knows what the hell we'll yeah, do. Flip but, coin. But who cares? First, that's, what, that's the first tiebreaker, right. which hasn't come up yet. But So yeah, those that's our thoughts on Fantasia. So our list so far, after three movies, look identical. Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, if you right. go with the right. Also, that's the order that came out as well. Yeah. So we're in a steady decline, and that will continue in the next episode. Yeah. Don't you worry. So yeah, uh, that about wraps up Fantasia. Next on the list is Dumbo. Uh, are you looking forward to that one? Uh, You're looking forward to getting that one over with. Dumbo, I will say more than Fantasia, and perhaps just because it's way shorter. <laughs> it's uh, very short. Feels film. like uh, it's way more approachable than Fantasia, yes. and feels more Disney than Fantasia. It maybe I might that might be arguable, but it definitely feels more approachable. And uh, I gave it a much worse spoilers. It will get a much worse score <laughs> than Fantasia. But uh, uh, then the same issue you just said about Pinocchio. Like I think I would rather watch Dumbo than watch Fantasia. When I watch Fantasia, it feels like a homework assignment. Like I it don't enjoy it. Bit, yeah. But uh, so yeah. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I know. I mean that was a, a daunting episode to handle but uh hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully you stick around and check out more don't worry we won't have to review another fantasia again for many 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 episodes till fucking fantasia 2000 comes around which much like blues brothers 2000 (laughs) not a good sequel if you add 2000 to the end of something it's probably terrible but uh yeah so uh so signing off uh I'm Jake. I'm Dustin. And we are done with Fantasia. Hope you join us again next time for Dumbo. See you later. Dudes.